0: Thank you, Brother Doug, for that great song service so far. Um, This morning, our text will be found in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Again, verses that we should all be familiar with, like any sermon. As Tom and I were saying, we have not found any uh, verses I don't think that you'd be familiar with. The the older you are and the more mature you are, Uh, There's nothing new that we can present. We just try to present it in a slightly different way. Today, this text, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, the title of the sermon will be Suit Up. It was an early morning in Los Angeles, California, of course, several years ago, a motorcycle policeman named Bob Vernon saw a red pickup truck speeding through a stop sign. He turned on his siren, of course, and gave chase. When the pickup pulled over, Vernon approached the driver's side and asked for the driver's ID. But what the officer didn't know was that the driver had just engaged in an armed robbery at a convenience store and had stolen a sack of money and was sitting on the seat beside him. No sooner had Vernon approached the driver and said, good morning, sir, may I see your then the driver pulled his gun and fired it into the policeman's chest about four inches away. The force of the blast pushed a policeman backwards seven feet where he fell down onto the ground. Believing that the officer was dead, the driver prepared to drive away. But then Vernon stood up, pulled his service revolver and fired twice. The first bullet went through the open window and smashed the windshield. The second, tore through the door and ripped into the driver's leg. The driver began to scream, don't shoot, and he threw his gun and the money out the pickup window and he was placed under arrest. But wait a minute, wait a minute. That robber had just shot Vernon in the chest only about four inches away. There was no way that that police officer should have been able to recover from that, except Of course, the policeman was wearing a Kevlar vest. It was only about three-eighths of an inch thick, but it was strong enough to stop that bullet that was fired upon him. Bulletproof vests have saved countless lives of police officers in the line of duty. Here are some examples that I found, just a few. In 2015, a Union City police officer was shot in the chest by a suspect but survived thanks to his bulletproof vest. In 2019, a Denver police officer was saved by his bulletproof vest in a shootout with a suspect. In 2023, a North Carolina State Highway Patrolman was shot in the chest, but his life was saved because of the bulletproof vest he was wearing. The one I found interesting was in 2014, the Army presented back to Sergeant Timothy Gilbo the bulletproof vest he was wearing They gave it back to him at a special ceremony because that bulletproof vest saved his life. While on duty in Afghanistan, he was shot at point-blank range, but the bullet struck the bottom edge of his plate. In our text today, Ephesians 6, Paul tells us to put on, each of us need to put on our own personal vest. Starting in verse 10 and 11, we read, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In the examples I mentioned earlier, these particular men were able to stand up and stand firm because they had put on their own personal protective armor. The scripture says that each one of us have armor that allows us to stand up and stand firm. The problem is that a lot of churchgoers kind of have a disconnect with this. And I may be included in that. This passage seems to imply that there's a fight going on. And we're engaging into something, a holy war, you would say. And that whether we win or lose may depend upon how prepared we are. But many churchgoers often don't grasp the reality that we are in a daily fight. I don't know about you i remember a while back when i was cub scout leader with my wife we were at a boy scout camp beaumont i believe it is and they have a fort and it's a real cool boy scout fort there and our young when the twins were younger they challenged our boy scouts to a snowball fight hmm. well the boy scouts are if you don't know they're at like age seventh grade to Seniors, where we were third grade to sixth grade, but we challenged and they were all excited. Well, I have to tell you that us leaders also got involved. And the first snowball that whacked off the wall above me, I realized they mean business. This isn't just a, a friendly game of snowball fight. <laughs> you know? And then when you get pelted in the back, you realize, oh my goodness, this is serious. And I'm sure we've all been in that situation where you wonder, where you start to think that ah, oh, this is just for fun, and all of a sudden you realize, ooh, they mean business, and that's what we got to realize today. We look at the book of Job in our Bible study. T- uh, in our Bible study, we were not in the book of Job. Sorry, in the Bible study we are in James chapter five, and we are talking about Job as an example of patience and perseverance, and you think about all that he went through. He knew, as he started to lose family members and wealth and so on, this meant business. Something was going on, and it was serious. And when we read all the examples in the Bible, God is saying there's a serious tone. When Jesus was speaking in in Matthew chapter 5, as he started to speak to the individuals, blessed are you that do this and that. It was serious business now there was a warfare going on and that's what we realized that we are at war a mother was told of calling her son who was deployed iraq she just called one weekend to say hello she asked if he had to work on sundays and he replied mom we have to work every day it's a war so we realized we are at war we are called to be prepared to engage with our enemy every day of the week, not just on Sundays as some Christians do. We think that we are part of the secular world Monday through Thursday. Saturday. Sunday is our day of making focus and time back to God. But we need to realize that in reverse, we're at war every day of our lives. And if we forget that we are at war with our enemy, There will come a time when we may not be wearing our armor and we're going to get hurt. So don't even forget that we are at war and that we have an enemy. But who is our enemy, you may ask? Who are we fighting? Well, in our day and age, many people would say the dreaded cold virus or the flu virus or the COVID virus or um, politics or the you know the nuclear weapons that we read of nowadays or the current cold and flu bugs that are going around we have all been personally we're professional hand washers aren't we since 2020 we can sing happy birthday to you you know and i know that they said the different songs that you sing and and i watch my grandson as he's getting ready to be a nurse i don't know i shouldn't pick on them but i got to say this my daughter's a nurse and my grandson's going into nursing. And when they wash, they do a great job, but I have to take a paper towel or something and dry all the area around the sink. You know, they they wash up to their elbows, but they don't realize that, I mean, they do a great job washing, but then you can see that, you know, I know every time they wash their hands if I come in behind them. But we think about what we have. Listening to the news or just reading comments written on social media, We are drawn to the conclusion that many Christians may believe that their enemies are the folks of political parties or countries that are in conflict or that their enemies are folks that don't dress or look like them or the enemies are folks that don't agree with them. But in reality, we know that God tells us that these other folks are not our enemies. These other folks may be really annoying Uh, to us at times, but our real enemy, we can see Paul writes in verse 12 of our text. We are not contending against flesh and blood, hmm, but against principalities and against the powers, against the world rulers of the present darkness, (coughs) against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Hmm. We're fighting against spiritual host of wickedness. You can't even see what you're fighting against. But then, of course, we couldn't see COVID, cold, flu, and so on. But you can see and even experience the discomfort that is inflicted by these viruses around us that there are medical teams across the world fighting and coming up with cures for these. It could even include cancer, heart attacks, heart disease. They're committed to coming up and fighting against that enemy until it is defeated. And that's what Paul is telling us here as Christians, that we can't see the enemy, but better believe it is there. We may not be able to see Satan, but we know the death that is caused, the disaster and damage that is inflicted in people's lives. I like to read in 1 Peter 5 and 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who may he may devour. We are assured in Scripture that there is. Satan. We mentioned the book of Job. It talks about Job kind of walking around and having a conversation with God. It's to Satan. I'm not sorry, Job, but Satan. Huh? Hmm. Looking to sue. Well, he only he only serves you because he has it so well. It's basically what Satan was saying, wasn't it? Look at He has nothing to worry about. You treat him so well. We as Christians, sometimes we get too comfortable. Basically, I think he's saying, Job looks like he's comfortable. Let's put a little heat under him, as we would say. Christians today, we have a little heat put under us. It might be for a reason, a testing. Sometimes people turn away from God. I had a roommate way back in Ohio State, back in the 70s, early 70s, that said he lost a brother way back. He prayed to God and his brother died anyhow. And he turned from God and thought, why would God do that to him? And therefore he was mad at God. Well, I'm thinking there's somebody I want on my side. I don't know if I want to stand face to face against God. It was bad enough when David stood against Goliath. I don't think any of us want to stand personally face to face with God. We all will. We all will. We know we're told. But I would rather have God on my side when I have to stand face to face with him Amen. than to oppose him. So we look at this and we look at what Job was facing and the times and trials. Jesus talks about how, you know, they, the, the certain things, the silver and gold have to be refined to be pure at the end. And compared to our lives. So the trials and tribulations we go through. So that brings us to verse 13 of our text, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. That brings us of course to our armor. What is our armor? The first thing is the belt of truth. Verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness Someone has noted that the belt was a sash, that it was designed to keep every part of the armor in place. One commentary believes that what Paul is telling us that is our honesty, our honesty and our sincerity, and that truthfulness is what holds our armor together. Thus, if we're faking our faith, the rest of the armor will fall apart. If we're hypocrites, our armor will be useless. Think about that belt. Gentlemen, ladies probably too, but I know gentlemen. If you ever get a pair of pants and they're a little bit big on you and you don't put the belt in. How embarrassing it is when you're trying to walk and your pants are sagging and you're trying to hold your pants up and you know just things are you know have a little bit of trouble. I deliberately did not wear a belt today. And I you probably noticed I keep doing this number just to kind of remind myself of that example. How uncomfortable it is because the belt holds things in place. And I remember that song that years ago, uh there was a guy on uh, American Idol or something that says, Looking like a fool with the pants on the floor, pants on the floor, or pants on the ground or floor or whatever. Looking like a fool and I I can picture that because I, you know, grew up and you know, some kids like to do that. And I in high school, we always had to try to get tell the kids to pull the pants up, and, and they, you know, and it, it was kind of silly. When they start to try to run, you got all their pants on, and so on. But our belt of truth, number one. Second, breastplate, our breastplate of righteousness. Not our righteousness, not our righteousness, but Christ. This is the ultimate in Keflar vest. Christ's righteousness protects our breast. Area. That's where our heart is, and thus the righteousness of Jesus protects our heart. Third, let's look at verse 15. It literally says, as shoes for our feet, may we put on the sandals of peace, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. There is a story about two friends who were walking through the desert. Halfway through the journey, they had an argument, and one friend slapped the other friend in the face. The one who was slapped felt hurt, but without saying anything, he bent down and wrote in the sand, today my best friend slapped me in the face. They kept on walking until they found an oasis where they were able to take a bath and refresh and relax and the one friend who had been slapped began to drown and his friend who had slapped him saved him when he recovered from the ordeal the one who wrote in the sand, who was slapped and now saved wrote today my best friend saved my life he wrote it on stone his friend asked him why after i hurt you did you write in sand and now you write in stone. The man smiled, replied, when a friend hurts you, you write it in sand, where the winds of forgiveness can erase it away. And when something great happens, you should engrave it in stone, in a, so that the memory of your heart will remember it, and where the wind cannot erase it. As Christians, we need to take our stand on the gospel. Nothing else matters. Let's look at Romans 1.16 as it declares, and it's a very common verse, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul is basically saying, I will proudly proclaim the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God Unto salvation. So may we remember our belt, our breastplate, the armor, our shoes, our sandals as peace. And may we take that shield of faith. Your faith of Christ is a shield to met that snowball fight. So we started to do, we started to take our sleds, those plastic sleds, and use them as shields hmm. until we could work our way into that fort. And then we used the fort as a shield. Felt a little better having a shield, something. So now when they're throwing, you can at least duck and you can hear it smack off the wall and so on. And then there was a little balcony too, which was cool. And we got the kids up on the balcony, you know, they like got the buffer part, and then they could throw down, they get attacked from up top and People were feeding them snowballs. That was my job, you know, to try to make snowballs real quick and throw them up to them and so on. And it was a lot of fun. Final end was, we did lose, of course, as you would expect. But but it was fun. but, But it made me think of this as I was going through this, that you look for protection. The elements outside, we look to get inside. We're looking for that shield, that protection that we have. Verse 16 of our text says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Flaming darts. I don't think many of us, unless reading this verse, thought of being attacked on a daily basis, symbolically by flaming darts of the Satan. If you don't trust Jesus, if you don't rely on him, If you don't have a shield and really think of Jesus and focus in our lives, having a prayer service and having time dedicated to God in Christ daily, I don't think we'll stand a chance because Satan will take us out. And finally, we put on a helmet of salvation. It always amazed me how many policemen it must be something to do with the, sh- the head, but a lot of them, they wear that vest, but they don't wear headgear. And I always wondered about that. Because if you ever watched a SWAT squad go in, they're all, they've got the helmet, the shields, and everything, when you look at that group. Sadly enough, when I was a kid growing up, we actually, opportunity to see that. Um, the individual across the street, Um, the the mom was smart enough to throw the little kid, who we used to babysit, kind of got him out the window onto a fuel oil tank. He slid down, came running over. And to hear this kid who was about seven years old to say, my dad's got a gun on my mom and is threatening to shoot her. The police were called and we got to swatch. I mean, little Newbury, Ohio, and to watch an entire SWAT team surround that house. And they all had the, the helmet and all the gear on. We think about how we protect. A helmet protects your head. And that's where our brain is located. And your brain controls how you think. So the helmet is devised to protect our thinking because now with Jesus dying on the cross for us, Being obedient, we now are forgiven man. I'm a changed man. I am a saved man. That's the helmet of my salvation. My helmet, my salvation is reflected in my life because I know that where my salvation now relies on is who I am. Some have noted that most of the armor is defensive the belt, the breastplate, the sandals, the shield, and the helmet are all designed to protect us. But not just me, this armor is just also designed to protect those around me. From what I understand, back in the days of Rome, armies had swords and shields and helmets and such like this. But the Roman legions often had an advantage. They fought as a unit. From what I understand, they protected each other, that they would join in arm, arm to arm, that their shields would interlock, and that they marched as one body into battle. I remember in football, sometimes the kickoff return team. When I was at Berkshire, we used to ask the kids, the front line, to join arms real quick, the the front five would quickly quickly join arms and just run like you know just like a bulldozer straight ahead they would try to bend over and so on and take out and sometimes the 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 kickoff team running down would see that group coming running at them and, and they'd try to go around them well that's what we wanted we'd tell the running back to get as close as he could right behind them now that was way back years ago i don't i think there's you know there's a lot more finesse and strategy to football nowadays but back in the late 70s, early 80s, it was kind of effective. You know, we call them the hammerheads, and, and they just kind of join together and go right on out there. We know today, though, that we need each other. That's why in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, it tells us, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more the time as we see the day approaching. May we not only worry about ourselves, but may we take care of others. Some people may get defensive if you come up and, you know, and say, hey, I noticed that um, you could do this a little bit better, or I wanted to encourage you. I take it as a, a total compliment, and that I know that somebody's looking out for me. And that's what I tried to say last week with Penn and Teller, the guy's an atheist, big guy, but, but he he said, it is a shame if you know Christ and you don't share it. Like, what would you have against somebody for not sharing the saving power of Christ with other people? You must not like them very well if you don't share that, that, that knowledge that you have. We need each other. We need each other to bond together against Satan We all need each other to have each other's backs, as we would say. We need to fight as one body if we're going to defeat our enemy. And that brings us to our weapons. Just real quick, we can't fight without a weapon. Paul describes our weapons in this way. Verse 17 of our text. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, you just got to have a sword. But this isn't just any old sword. This is the word of God, the Bible. This is our weapon. Hebrews 4 and 12 describes it this way. For the, word of the, the, for the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart there's power in this book. And that's because it's the sword of the Spirit. The power comes from the words the Spirit has infused into the Bible. We know that God reuses us and reassures us. In Isaiah 55 and 11, God gives us reassurance, as he says in Isaiah 55, 11, my word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Every time you quote scripture, you unleash the power of God's spirit in a conversation. Just a little tidbit, I'm not sure where they stand, but if you follow a little bit of athletics, CJ Stroud last week always gives praise to God before any time they interview him. At the end of the game, they interviewed him, After a good victory, he gave thanks and glory to God. The channel, the news network, cut that part out of the interview. Did not have it. Yesterday, Baltimore played that. Baltimore won. I've never heard John Horbaugh say he was a Christian or whatever, but he deliberately, in response, to stick up for Stroud who he just beat, took a Bible and read a Bible verse as they came in to praise him for his victory. And it was almost like, you got a lot of flack, let's see you cut this out this week. And it basically was saying, almost what Shroud said, that you give all power and glory to God. And I forget the verse, I should remember, but it was basically all power and glory come through God, our Savior, and so on. Which would shroud and I found that interesting that even in sports they're starting to catch on people dropping that out. So may we use God's word in all situations. Every time we quote scripture, we unleash that power. And the second weapon, praying at all times in the spirit. With all prayer and supplication, verses eighteen and nineteen by our text praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. If anybody needs it, Paul, say it. If anybody needs it, I'm encouraging you. But may I pray for me that I may say the things that I need to say. There are people who don't think of prayer as a weapon, but Paul believed it. He said, pray thy words may be given to me. He believed their prayers and power had a power and gave him an edge in what he was doing. I'd like you to think about it this way. In the U.S. military, there's someone called a forward observer. Basically, he calls in the location of the target for military or airstrikes. This is a powerful weapon because he's calling in the big guns. Think about prayer as calling in an airstrike. When we pray, we're calling in the big guns. We're not just doing it so that we can or for our own personal benefit. When we do this, we're unleashing the power of heaven to do what God said he can do. And one last thing. My conclusion, notice that Paul asked the church to pray that words may be given to him in opening his mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. In Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 through 26, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant conversations. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him. Do we catch that? We're not to get into arguments. Our goal is not to share insulting comments or minds as they people would, you know, who disagree with us. Our goal is to win souls for Jesus Christ. We were told that Paul used it for his advantage. He was chained to people on either side. He spent hours and hours, days and days in prison, chained to people. But he used that as an opportunity to teach them, used them as an audience to share words and try to convert. And we know that he had converted some of those people around him. We are warned of the warfare warfare we face on a daily basis, and that apart from utilizing the weapons which God has provided for us, we are hopelessly underpowered unless we use the equipment that God gives us. Today, may we look at the war that we are and realize that this is business, that they mean business, and may we wake up to the fact that we are in a constant battle. May we use God's weapons, as it says here in Ephesians, to armor ourselves and to get into a daily prayer life, a daily scripture, a daily just helping each other. And I am very happy. I think our congregation is getting stronger and stronger and we have each other's backs. And may we continue to do so. The lesson is yours. If you are in need of the baptism or the prayers of the congregation, you can come forward as we stand and sing our song of invitation.